about our prayers. I want, you know, I'm always trying to encourage us to be bold in our prayers, to be consistent in our prayers. Don't back down. You know, uh, I was watching the news last night, which I don't do too much of. I do just enough to know kind of what's going on, but I don't want to get overloaded with it. And I know a lot of us do. It's easy. But you can watch so much, it makes you a little anxious, nervous, concerned, scared about the world, right? What's going on? Scared for our children. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, let your request be made known to God. Your request. We call them prayer requests. It says every situation. There's none too big, none too small. And in uh, Ephesians, it says, pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer and requests. Keep alert and pray for all of God's people. That's why we like to have the written prayer requests, so we can pray for all of God's people. We don't just get to pray for the ones we like. We got to pray for everybody, right? Got a problem with somebody, you should be praying for them more and praying for yourself, right? But we want to join as a family and pray up all these requests. I love what Daniel says in chapter 9. He says, we don't make request of you, O God, because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's a great verse, isn't it? It's not because of us. It's because of him. He has mercy. We know and we should know that we don't deserve it. We can't be good enough to get prayers answered. We can't be bad enough that they don't get answered. Amen? Don't, we're not basing our prayers and our answers on us. It's all on him because he has great mercy. And it says then in Psalms 5-3 in the morning, still morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. That's really the key. Once we pray, we don't just walk off and forget about it or think, eh, maybe, maybe not, that'll happen. We should be expecting an answer from the Lord. Sometimes the answer is no for our own good. But sometimes, you know, it's wait, which is always hard. But we should be expecting to hear from God about what we've asked for, right? Let's pray and pray hard and pray believing. Thank you, ladies. These ladies right here, I know, are saying yes because they're prayer warriors. <laughs> They've been praying for many, many years. And then on our offering, sometimes we don't talk about it too much, but, uh, you know, why do we take up an offering every week? I know some of us ask that question to ourselves or to others. Why do we have to take an offering every week? We do it because we're grateful. We're grateful. We want to give to God a small portion of what he's given back to us. Amen? And if you read in Genesis 14, it kind of all started with Abraham, Abram at the time. And he had just defeated kings in the valley. And um, he was grateful. He was grateful. Melchizedek came to him. And at that point is where the 10% or one-tenth was spoken of. And if you read all the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, it's mentioned in every one. One-tenth, one-tenth. If they had a uh, hundred lambs that year, they'd give ten of them to the Lord. If they had, you know, raised a thousand pounds of dates, they'd give, you know, a hundred pounds as a tithe and a gratefulness. We're so grateful, Lord, of what you've given us. And I know here as Americans, we always talk about equal rights, don't we? Oh, our rights are important to us, and they should be because they were fought for with lives of, you know, American citizens. But the, if we really look at it, God is the great equalizer. He doesn't discern among people. Oh, the rich have to pay more. The poor are going to pay less. No, it's a tenth. You made a dollar this week, that's a dime. 
you made $10,000 this week. It doesn't really matter. It's a 10% because we're all equal and God requires or asks each one of us. We don't have to. It's a choice on our part. It's not, you know, our salvation isn't dependent on it, but it's a way of showing our gratefulness to the Lord. Amen? I'm so grateful for everything I have. I look around. We've been moving for the last two weeks. I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot less than I did when we started, but I have things that, you know, a lot of people probably don't have in the world, across the world. And I am grateful for a lot of those things that God has blessed me with and allowed us to have. And so I always want to give back to him. I always tell the church, I would never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself when I'm up here. So be assured. And we're still raising money for the uh, building project. You can go over there and look anytime you want. Um, you should just tell us after the service, because if you go in there and shut the door, it locks and you can't get out. And we probably wouldn't find you till Monday morning. So, <laughs> so if you want to go over there and look anytime, you know, it is kind of a construction mess right now. But you can see what's going on, what needs to be done, what maybe has been done since last time you looked. But that's definitely an ongoing project, especially to get our uh, kitchen built so we can do more. I know, we need the kitchen. Come on, guys. Let's take up our offering. Put your written prayer request in there. Let's wait expectantly for the voice of the Lord. We serve a mighty, mighty God. Nothing's too big for him and nothing's too small. He's concerned with the lives of his people. Father, we do thank you that you are a mighty God, that you hear our cries, you hear our requests. Not only hear them, but you encourage us to make our requests known before you. So grateful, Lord, for the life of Jesus, that you've given us freedom in him. Father, just each one of us, I pray, would, as we look upon our own lives, would have grateful hearts for all you've done, even in the difficult, hard times you've been there and brought us out through grace. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This year, as a, a Bethel Music family, a few days before Christmas, most of you guys probably were a part of this miracle, but we watched... Um, Joel and Janie Taylor's little son, Jackson. And he was, a few days before Christmas, airlifted to intensive care. And we began to fight. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of As that giant was looking at us, I knew he was going to regret the day he ever pointed his sword at Jackson. Just as Goliath pointed his sword at David, the sword Goliath pointed at David became the sword the little boy picked up and took the giant's head off with. And as we watched this miracle happen in Jackson's body, it was like this giant of unbelief was falling. And our community just began to sing this song. It was just one note in the symphony of prayer rising for his life. So I want to teach it to you this morning. Let's sing.
church. How are you? We are excellent. That's what I like to hear. My name is Jason Sebesta. I am the youth pastor here at The Light. Uh, we run a youth group called Sozo Student Ministries. Um, yeah, woo, Sozo Student Ministries. Uh, Sozo, for those guys who don't know, um, comes from a Greek word, soterra. Basically, it stands for uh, to save, to heal, and to deliver. And uh, we believe that that's what we're called to do. Uh, we get that scripture. We get that scripture from uh, Luke four eighteen, and um, it actually comes from the prophecy that Isaiah wrote in uh, sixty one. We're actually going to read that in a little bit, but that's what we feel like we're called to do. We feel like we are called to save and deliver and heal the lost and hurting people in the young community of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, we've been placed in a position, Amen. Right? We've been set in a position where we are excited to serve our kids. Um, and for those of you that, I mean, you might know somebody, a troubled young youth, send them here on a Friday night. Uh, there's no criteria for anybody to be here. We want the broken. We want the lost. We want those who um, are hurt in life. You know, we don't want polished up Christians. You know, of course we do. Um, but what we're really looking for is for the lost, you know. Um, and that's where our heart's at. Before we get started, guys, I just want to take a quick second. I feel like we don't do this very often, but just to welcome any first-time visitors um, we're not going to make you do anything crazy. We just want to welcome you guys and just let you know that we have been praying for you guys before you even stepped in the door. Um, something that you don't know probably about me is I pray over empty seats. Um, something that my brother-in-law, and he's not here that often, but he's here today, he taught me that uh, his boss once told him the most valuable seat in the restaurant is an empty one. And that's how I believe. I believe that the most valuable seats here are the ones that are empty, the ones that are the people that aren't even showed up today. So um, if this is your first time here, I just want to welcome you guys, say that there are people here that want to come alongside you, walk alongside uh, life with you, um, and just welcome you guys. If this is your first time, this is a good home. We're glad you guys chose this spot. Amen. So like I said, one thing you're going to find out about me, um, I'm a big Jesus guy. Um, I teach a lot on grace and mercy because I know grace and mercy. Um, every time I talk about it, I start crying. But 
What, you know, I, I really relate to the woman that was washing Jesus' feet. You know, she, she needed much forgiveness. She knew forgiveness because she needed much forgiveness. And that's exactly how I feel. Um, I live kind of by a phrase. There's a three short words but very powerful words. Always only Jesus. And if you guys live by that, this is how our church believes, that this is a God-based, it's a Bible-based, Jesus Christ-based church. But those are three short words, but they're very powerful, very meaningful, always only Jesus. Um, and I believe that. I believe there's truth uh, just in those words. I'm happy. I'm excited to be here. I've got a message. Um, I feel like God has kind of placed on my heart a couple weeks ago. Um, I shared it. Um, I didn't share it. I, didn't share it. I saved it. Um, I saved it for just, you know, I felt like God really wanted me to give this to the church and deliver this message to the church. Um, it wasn't really something that uh, I was going to take to the youth group, but I felt like this was really a good thing for our church. So um, we're going to talk about today, uh, if you guys have seen in the emails and stuff, the title of this sermon is From Morning to Joy. Okay, and uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, it's, the morning is something that we will deal with, all of us will deal with. Um, it's not something that's really easy to talk about, um, but what's cool about this and just the way that God see this, sees mourning is that God really uses a lot of our mourning and a lot of our tragedy situations to bring true joyness and true, you know, greatness out of that. And so we're going to talk today. We're just going to share some moments together. Uh, my job's pretty easy today. I just get to brag about Jesus. I get to brag about a superhero and how good he is. Um, and so that kind of makes my life easy. So what we're going to do, and I don't know if this has ever been done before. Uh, well, it has been done, but just not in this church. But we're going to take the fruit of the Spirit and the Beatitudes and kind of line them up. They've got each one of them. The fruit of the Spirit has nine characteristics, and the Beatitudes, there's nine Beatitudes. And so when you kind of line them up together, uh, you see that they begin to kind of flow with each other and um, kind of make sense together. So if you guys will join me just in reading, uh, Michael, if you're ready back there, let's throw up Matthew 5, 4. Just so we can see the text. There we go. But obviously you guys know this. This is uh, Jesus. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And uh, he starts off, um, well, this is the second one. But he goes in and he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when you line that one up, that scripture up with Galatians 22, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, there we are. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is kind of line up the two. We're going to take the second beatitude and the second characteristic. There's one fruit but many characteristics. So we're going to take the second beatitude and the second characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. So blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If you guys will join me in prayer, we'll get this thing started. Just, just want to just thank you, Father, just for the moments that we get to share together, God. I just thank you for our, just our church family, Father, people that come from all different walks of life, all different uh, past, Father. God, we just thank you that we, uh, we get together, Father, and we get to just serve you and share stories about you, God. Most importantly, Father, we just thank you for you sending your son to die on the cross for us, God. We thank you for just our salvation in you. We thank you for uh, what you're doing, God. I just pray that right now in this moment, Father, you would use me as nothing more than a vessel, God. I'm just a broken vessel, Father, but I ask that you would just use me to pour out upon the congregation, God. Just remove any of my personal agenda, Father, and just ask that, God, you would just, your very words would fall out of my mouth, God. Not, not by my own strength, but by your strength would be done. In Jesus' name, everyone said. 
Amen. All right. So one of the most frustrating things in life is um, when you expect something and you get something totally different. Um, I know this has not happened to anybody in here ever. Like you guys have all gotten what you wanted out of life and everything has been like super cherry. Um, but one of the most like frustrating things for me is when I'm expecting to get something and what I get is totally different. So Jim Noble's not here today, but there's Jim Noble, the ranch that he runs right now, manages or owns. Does he own it? I don't know. My dad's not paying attention. Manages it. Um, take notes. Um, so, so one of the, the he, he runs this ranch. Me and my dad had been going up there deer hunting, I mean, since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And one of the first times that we went up there, uh, this ranch is located in Raton. And um, it was owned by just three, uh, two brothers and a sister. They were Irish. And, I mean, when I was 12, they were old. When I was 12, they were like 85 or something like that. And so they've all gone and passed and, and you know, they're not here with us anymore. But one of the first times that we went up there, we get up there and it's kind of late and it's snowy and it's cold. And uh, they invite us in the house. You kind of have a check-in process of what you have to do. You kind of have to give them your license and, you know, let them know what's happening. You're going to be hunting here in these days. And, and just kind of there's a small check-in process and it's kind of a meet and greet and you get to hang out with these old folks. Um, we're sitting in there, and one of them asked me, would, would I like a glass of milk? And at 11, 12 years old, every little boy wants a glass of milk, for sure. And so um, I noticed that, you know, she came, she comes out, and she gets the coffee cup or a little mug, and she sets it on the table. But rather than going to the refrigerator to get my milk, she goes to the stove. And on the stove is what is sitting there, it appears to be some sort of a coffee pot. And she gets a coffee pot, kind of pours the milk in there and hands it to me. And what I drink, see, when you live on the ranch and you live in the country, you're not drinking 1%, 2%, Creamland, Dairy Farm. So what had happened was she poured me this milk, and I started drinking this warm, thick, sour, disgusting. So they had a cow, a dairy cow in the back, and they would go out and milk the cow, and then come right back inside, put it on the, on the stove and heat that up to pasture or to, you know, clean it out and get all the impurities. I had never had straight cow's milk in my life before, and I have never had cow's milk since then. I don't drink milk anymore. It scarred me for life. You know, I was expecting, you know, just like cookies and milk, you know, cold glass of milk and dunk my cookie in it, you know, and just like a little kid, I was so excited. But to like drink this frothy milkshake that was warm and thick and chunky. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. Thank you, Jim Noble. Doug knows exactly what I'm talking about, too. I'm sure Doug drank a lot of that. <laughs> but sometimes, and that's why we're going to talk about today, sometimes in life we don't get what we expect. And that's why today's message is called From Morning to Joy. You don't really expect to get joy from morning. Um, but really, God shows us that Sometimes true joy can come from the most, like the biggest heartaches, the most brokenness that we've ever experienced. That's where our true joy can come out of. Amen? Amen. So we're going to kind of unpack that today. Um, hope you guys at the end of this can kind of understand, you know, that through our mourning is where the truest joy is experienced. So just to start off with, our culture in 2019, we have become just in such a state that we're so desensitized by life. You guys know what I mean? We're so numb to the things that we see in life anymore. There was, um, and I talked about a little bit of this on, on Friday night, but when Vietnam was happening, can you help, what year was that? 
60s. I'm just going to go with 60s. So in the 60s, so before that started happening, there really was no images of war. You know, and there was wars happening, but we weren't really seeing it. And then once Vietnam, you had reporters and staff and, and people going across seas and taking pictures, taking videos, and getting them back to American soil. And what happened with that was there was immediate protest. People started losing their minds because they saw the images of what was happening across seas. They were seeing the executions, and they were losing their minds. And, you know, 50 years ago, our society was very sensitive to life. We were very sensitive to the things going on around us, and we would mourn. Our hearts would break. Um, things would bother us. It would cause us to rise up and put our foot down and take a stand against what we believe is right. But what's happened, you know, nowadays is we, we've become so desensitized to life that we're just so numb. We don't really, you know, pay attention. It's like we can get online right now, and you can see executions, and you can turn on the news at night, and you hear about, you know, this murder and this crime that was committed. And we tend to just to, like, I know I do. I just stop watching the news because it's not good news. It's always bad news. And so what I did is I just, I just stopped watching it because it's so, it's too hard to constantly listen to that. And so, um, but that's actually what, what, the Bible actually says almost the exact opposite, and what God wants is, is the exact opposite, that, that through these mournings that, you know, like we read, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, like, let's talk about cinnamons. Oh, how lucky, um, how happy, how fortunate are those who mourn. Okay, God wants us to mourn. God wants us to be sensitive to the spirit, to what's happening, because we are his people. This is, right now, this is where the kingdom of God is, okay? And he's talking about getting the kingdom of God, but, like, the kingdom of God is dwelling inside of our hearts right now. Um, that's where in the, God, in the heart of God's people. And so he's saying, blessed are you, how lucky are you that you should mourn um, when you see the hurt and the pain, um, because when you do mourn, the ultimate outcome of that will be joy. And so what our culture tells us today is anything that causes you pain, anything that causes you hurt, what you should do is run away from that. You shouldn't be around that. You shouldn't surround yourself by that because it hurts you, so therefore you should distance yourself from that. And God actually says, in those moments, run to me. Run to me, and I will be the one that comforts you. Don't run away from society. Don't run away from mourning and away from pain like society would tell us to do, but rather run to God in these moments and let him heal you through those moments. So we're going, amen, yeah. So, so what we're going to do, there's kind of a flow um, with the Beatitudes and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and, the, and the Beatitudes, they kind of start off with, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the first fruit of the uh, uh, fruit of the spirit characteristic is love. So you get, you know, if you're poor in spirit, what you get out of that, if you're poor in spirit, your spirit's poor, what the characteristic of the fruit is, is love. And so there is kind of an ebb and a flow with this thing, how God's kind of using uh, this to work. And it leads us, our poorness and our brokenness, poverty in spirit, leads us to mourning. You see, when we, and let's talk about it. The be attitudes, these aren't the do attitudes, okay? These aren't the what you should do. These are the be, this is who you be, all right? This is you be this person. You be this. So the be attitudes, you know, once we've come into faith and come into Christ, these are the, the be attitudes. We don't have to do this, and it's not like something that we have to do, but these are the things that are instilled inside of us. So blessed are those um, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our poverty in spirit, our brokenness, our poorness in spirit, we show up to heaven we show up when we come to God's throne. We have nothing, okay? We didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. We're broke. We have a poor spirit. 
And our brokenness, our poor spirit leads us to mourning, and mourning leads us to comforting. So, um, mourning, mourning isn't something that we want to deal with, um, but it's natural. Um, the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. So whether you like it or not, there will be mourning in life. Okay, we can't avoid these things because mourning is coming. Um, but like I said, we, we've become so desensitized in life. We've become to this point where in 2019, we see brokenness, we see heartache, we experience heartache, and we deal with it by self-medication, by dealing with, um, by running away from pain. And really what's happening in that situation is our attempts at self-preservation are putting limits on God. Our attempts at self-preservation put limits on what God's trying to do. So what we try to do is we try to deal with us on our own. We Really what we're saying is we're saying no to God's grace, no to God's mercy, and saying, you know what, I can handle this on my own. I can drink this problem away. I can, you know, work out this problem. I can avoid this problem. I can do whatever I want to do. I can handle this on my own. And really what we're doing is saying, God, everything that you want to do in me and everything that you want to do in my life, I'm going to kind of push that back and try to handle this on my own. So the hardness of our heart from the culture, you know, 2019, you know, it's like we've, they've told us just to run away from this. That's actually hardened our heart, and it's gotten us to a point where we're not accepting God's grace, and we're not enjoying, like, the full potential of his joy and his mercy. So God's heart is not to keep us mourning. God wants us to be happy. If you guys will pull up that Psalms uh, a scripture, Psalms 30, verse 4 and 5, if you guys are following along. But God's heart is not to keep us mourning. God wants us to be happy. Um, and like I said, the cinnamons for, for blessed are those who mourn. The cinnamons for blessed, you know, how lucky you are, how fortunate you are, um, how happy you are to feel real anguish and have your hearts broken over the brokenness of our world. Here we go, Psalms, Psalms 30, verse 4 and 5. Sing praises of the Lord, O you faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The first step, the first step is that we have brokenness, right? We're broken, our hearts, our hearts hurt. Uh, we deal with uh, brokenness. Uh, we see the brokenness in our world. We experience heartache. We experience hurt in our own lives. And the first step is experience that. And I get it, and it hurts, and life isn't always perfect and I understand that we've all experienced this like these extreme heartaches but the second step is and don't miss it is bless those who are mourned for they shall be comforted so God and you got to catch this because this is where like the, the real powerful part of this comes is God is not interested in us walking around sad and mourning our entire lives what God is interested in doing is taking those sad moments and taking those heartaches we've experienced and leveraging them, letting him intervene in those moments to show himself merciful and to show himself true and to show himself how, you know, this is, you know, what, what out of real tragedy comes triumph, you know, and, and in the midst of the pain, God shows up, and when he meets us in those moments, when he meets us in our sadness and our brokenness, that's when our lives begin to be transformed. That's when we get to look and see life through a different way. That's, what, that's when God really starts moving in our lives. So Jesus says, remember this, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation in life, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. 
God doesn't want us to be sad all the time. You know, we always talk about this, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Like, the Lord does, and he works in mysterious ways. Through the biggest heartaches, through the biggest pain, we see God show up in the midst of that and start moving forward and changing our lives. And we begin to run to him. I heard somebody say this, I'm going to beat the accuser to the throne. So whenever something happens, before the enemy can get to the throne, I'm going to beat him there. I'm going to get to the throne first and start calling on God's name. I'm going to run towards God before the enemy can beat me there. So in the midst of his tragedy, his present is his presence. You guys catch that? In the midst of of our tragedies, his present to us is his presence. When he shows up in our lives and begins to change our lives and transform us, we begin to experience true joyness when we're at the bottom of the bottom and the lowest of the lows, and God begins to pull us out of that. That's when we begin, his presence begins to change our lives. The greatest God changes, God has an amazing way of taking tragedies and turning them to triumphs. Let's talk about this. Because the greatest tragedy in the world was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I mean, he was a man that came, and he saved, and he healed, and he delivered people. He was an advocate for the lost. He fought for um, a woman who was caught in, in the act of adultery. I mean, Jesus did all of these things, and he fought for people, but yet at the end of the day, they still killed him, and they still wanted nothing to do with him. And, you know, they, they, they take him to the cross, and there's this brutal, this crucifixion of beating and, and, you know, cursing his name and spitting in his face and nailing him to the cross But let me just tell you something, church. My story doesn't end with tragedy. Your story doesn't end with tragedy. His story and his story didn't end with tragedy at the cross. It ended in the tomb. There was an empty tomb, and that's where the story, Jesus took the greatest tragedy that was ever experienced. God took the greatest tragedy that was ever, like, existence, and he takes that and turns it into the biggest triumph we've ever seen. His story did not end at the cross. It ended at the tomb. Amen. 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 So listen, um, I just want to talk just when we're going to kind of start to wind this. I'm not going to take too much of your guys' time today. But I just want to talk just for a little bit just to those of you in this place that have found yourself broken and hurting, um, that have experienced pain. Uh, that have lost somebody uh, just very dear to them, um, a marriage didn't work out, you lost a loved one, you guys can fill in the blank. But I just want to encourage you guys this morning to let God comfort you. Um, and I know it kind of sounds easy, it's easier said than done, right? You know, and I don't want to take anything away from anyone's hurt and anyone's pain because it's rightfully so. You have righteous pain, you have righteous hurt, things in your life. You didn't deserve uh, things that have happened to you, weren't what you expected. Um, But I just want to encourage you to let God comfort you. Uh, There's people in this church right now that are willing to come alongside you, that are willing to lift you up, um, that are willing to walk life with you. But here's the deal, guys, is God is the great physician. We know that. And I think this morning God really wants to do some open-heart surgery. I mean, I think he wants to do some heart surgery on a lot of us in here that have dealt with experiencing just these extreme tragedies and brokenness of our lives. But you guys understand that although he's a great physician and he wants to do that, God is a gentleman. 
okay? And God will not impose his will. He will not impose his anecdote um, or his prescription or his medication without us inviting him into our lives and inviting him to be the one to comfort us, inviting him to come take over and handle our situations. And I think for some of us, God's saying, let me comfort you. And, and a lot of times, some of us are just saying, no. You know, I've experienced life, you know, these horrible tragedy events. And, and you know, it's just, it's too much, you know. But God is knocking at the door, and God wants to. God wants to, to heal us. You see, Jesus, before he preached the Beatitudes, if you guys want to pull up Isaiah 61, before Jesus preaches the Beatitudes, he goes into the synagogue and reads this prophecy. And this is what I was talking to you guys about earlier is this is where we get our theme scripture from youth group. Um, because that's what Jesus was called to do. And if we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, this is what we feel like we're called to do. We spend a lot of time reading this, you know, and this comes from a prophecy in Isaiah that was, you know, a thousand years before Jesus reads this. But Jesus gets baptized and he starts his ministry and before he gets going, he goes into the synagogue and just opens this thing up. And it's really cool because he's basically reading the scripture about himself. He's reading a scripture that somebody, Isaiah, wrote many years before and he gets to step in the synagogue and read about what Isaiah was writing about him. So he goes and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort, everyone say to comfort, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise, come on church, instead of the uh, spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness. You guys see how Jesus puts together joy and mourning and he begins to bring this to light that mourning comes with joy and joy comes with mourning. You don't just get just joy in your life, there will be mourning. Life isn't always what you expected. You might get a warm glass of cow's milk. You know, yeah, <laughs> but life is we, life's not always what we think is going to happen. You know, in these mourning, in these moments of mourning, God shows up and shows us what true joy feels like and what true joy, what it's like to experience this, the goodness of life. I want to read one more scripture. Um, Revelation 21. One more scripture. I have like three more scriptures. Here we go. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Here we go. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. What is God saying? He's saying that that no matter how high, no matter how low, no matter good, bad, and ugly life gets, I will be with you. I've overcome the world, and I'm the one that's going to be with you. So run to me. Run to me these, in, during these times. I'm, I am the great comforter, and I will wipe away every tear. <clears throat> Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah 8.10. A lot of us know this. Some of us don't. But it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Does it say my joy? 
My joy in the Lord? No, it says the joy, his joy, his joy is my strength. It's not my joy in him. It's his joy in me that's my strength. Okay. Getting a little excited. We're good. Okay. Honestly, guys, I really, I prepared somewhat of a short message today. Um, but here's, here's a working definition of joy, and I'm going to kind of start closing with this is that joy, and this actually comes from a Sunday school, somewhat of a teaching, but joy, in a working definition as an acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. And when we begin to live life like this, guys, when we begin to put Jesus first, and then start serving others, our self is then fulfilled. And we found real purpose in ourself all of a sudden. We talked about this earlier, but the world would teach us everything else that is completely opposite. I mean, we've heard, I don't know, some of you guys have heard, YOLO, that's you only live once, all right? So that means take advantage of every opportunity, you only live once. Um, and live for yourself, you know, you gotta put yourself first, you gotta look out for number one, number one's the most important. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we seek God, when we seek Jesus first, we become the hands and feet of God and Jesus. We begin to serve others. And then in serving others, there's a fulfillment. And that's where real joy comes from. So Jesus, others, yourself. We got to get the priorities right because our culture constantly throws it in our face. Yourself, others, and then if you've got a little bit of time at the back end, you can throw God in there. But take care of yourself. Make sure you take care of yourself first. And then if there's a little bit of time for others, and at the very end, if God can fit into that space, let's make it work. But that's not where joy comes from. That's not where joy comes from. It's really not. Joy comes from living a purpose-filled life. I think there's a book about that. Purpose-driven. Purpose-driven life. But that's where, that's where our true joy really comes from. I gave this example on Friday night, but this is a glove. This is youth pastors. We have to use an illustration for every sermon. This is a glove. And this glove has many purposes, right? This glove can, I can, I can wipe things up with this glove, um, by the way, I can fan myself. So I'm not nervous, guys. I, not, I never get nervous in front of you guys. What happened was I drank two Red Bulls this morning, so I've been sweating all morning long. Um, but, yeah, I can use it to fan myself. Let's just acknowledge that. Um, <laughs> but this glove can serve many, many purposes, right? Um, it can do many things. And this glove, in fact, was made in the image of a hand. And so just like our lives, guys, we're made in the image of God. But until, until we are totally filled up, if this glove is our life and the hand is God, until we are totally filled up with God and every area of this glove is consumed and filled up by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden this glove has real purpose. 
This glove has real meaning now that it's sitting on top of my hand. Sitting on the outside of my hand, yeah, it has purpose. It can wipe up messes and I can wipe my sweat and do whatever it needs to do. But until this glove goes on my hand, it has no purpose, it has no meaning, and it is a lifeless glove. And once it gets on my hand, it begins to do what it was created to do. And a lot of us are like that, that we're going through life and we're not really sure what our purpose is. And I'm telling you guys this, that once we get filled up with the Holy Spirit, once we let God to consume every area, every darkened area that you can't see of our lives, once God comes in and fills that up, real purpose starts coming in. Now I can work, I can go work and not get splinters. This glove now protects me, it comforts me, it keeps me warm, okay? This is an illustration, guys, that, you know, if God, if we can be the glove and we can let God fill us up on the inside, the potential that comes out of this, the purpose that we begin to have in life, we have real fulfillment in life, we have real joy, joy unspeakable, and that's my glove illustration. <laughs> but listen, listen, listen. I'm really, I'm really going to close this time. Um, this is my second close. But, but when we get our priorities in line, okay, when we get our priorities in line, we find purpose. We find meaning when the glove fits and the glove's right. You know, it's, it's, that's when we find real purpose. We find real meaning within that. You know, and I'm going to call some of you guys out so you get ready to stand up. But when God called me to speak in the lives of young troubled people, it's because I was a young troubled person. And I grew up just being just a rebel and I didn't like authority and I wasn't into church and I was drinking and smoking and doing all these things that I shouldn't have been. Guess what's happening on Friday nights? I'm pouring into the hearts of kids who are dealing with the same things that I dealt with, okay? And that's when, when we start filling in our purpose. That's when God really starts moving in our lives. When you look behind me and you see two young men, well, three, sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> when you look behind us, I, I didn't think about you more. I, just, I had Josh and Jordan written down. Well, you see these two young guys that have a passion for music. And these guys are studying music. And, and they're seeking after God. And they're trying to make our worship team better. And they're sacrificing their own lives. They found their purpose. They found their meaning and their calling in life. When I see Edward and Melissa, they have such a passion for kids they work with them in schools. Edward's a coach. Melissa's a teacher. And then they show up to church and they start mentoring my students and me as well. And really raising up every ministry within this church. That's what your true purpose and your true calling is. For those of you that maybe struggled with finances and are now helping in the homeless ministry, that's where your purpose is because you've experienced the heartache. You've experienced the brokenness of life and now God is moving you into a place where you can touch the lives of people. For those of you that are in this sexual abuse class that have been sexually abused and now you're speaking into the lives of men and women that have dealt with the same thing, God is using you as for a purpose. God, you, it's for such a time as this. 
we've found our purpose. For some of us, we're still looking. But for those of you, and I like can commend, you know, these, these victims that are now victors. You know, they're using their tragedy for a triumph. You know, everything terrible that happened to them, they're taking it back and saying, you know what? This is what the, remember we talked about this last time? This is what the enemy tried to do to me, and this is what God's doing with me. God is not going to let me die in my past. It's not our past that defines us, guys. No matter how dirty our past is, our future is spotless. You guys, come on. Steve and Jane. Somebody who suffers loss in their family and now leads a grief share class. God is using you guys and fulfilling your purpose. You guys have found purpose and meaning, and that's what God calls us to do, guys. God has called us to do many things that may feel like it's out of our comfort zone. It may not feel like this is what we expected and how mourning and, and, and this life may suck. But listen, God takes the biggest tragedies in our life and turns them into the biggest triumphs. And some of us are experiencing tragedy this morning and are experiencing these broken, you know, times and, and heartache. And I really feel like, if the prayer ministers want to start coming up, I really feel like God wants to do some heart surgery in us today. That God wants to take these moments and take these moments of tragedy and show us how he can show up in the midst of this and reign true in our lives. So as they're coming up, I think the worship team's going to play. You guys want to play a little song? Cool. Jordan's going to sing a song. His very own song. But as we kind of shut this thing down, guys, we're going to land the plane here. But we're going to let them just kind of lead us in, you know, a chorus or two. And if God starts speaking to you guys, I just encourage you in this moment and today, don't neglect what God's doing. Don't take in vain what's getting ready to happen. That God wants to do a work. God wants to heal the brokenhearted. God wants to comfort the brokenhearted and give us true joy in this. So as they lead us in prayer, I just want you guys just to sit quietly and just allow God to speak into your life. And, and, and if he's speaking, just to come up and pray with one of our ministers, and then we'll close.
Okay, guys, we're going to come around to the table of the Lord. If we could get some house lights, please. And those of you that you want to continue to come up for prayer, it's fine. I want to um, want to thank Jason. Good word, Jason. And awesome. Excited to see what God's doing in his life. I thank our worship team this morning. You guys did a great job. So... Uh, Hey, I came across this the other day as we're preparing for communion. It said, this is a health warning. You guys are going to like this. Do not shampoo in the shower. Okay? It said, um, this guy says it's good to finally get the health warning that it's useful. It says involves shampooing when it runs down your body. When you shower with it, it's a warning to us all, a shampoo warning. It says, I don't know why I didn't figure this out sooner. I used to shampoo in the shower. When I wash my hair, the shampoo runs down my whole body, and it's printed very clearly on the shampoo label that for extra body and volume, no wonder I've been gaining weight. Says, well, I got rid of the shampoo, and I'm going to start showering with Dawn dishwashing soap because the label clearly reads... It dissolves fat that is otherwise difficult to remove. <laughs> All right, well, that's kind of silly, but. <laughs> I was thinking about that. It's funny that Jordan, you know, did that song because I was thinking no matter, you know, how much soap we use, nothing can wash away our sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We can try to remove it with soap, but it's not going to happen. We can try to remove the stain, but it's not going to happen. Nina read this morning or quoted this morning from uh, Genesis about tithing, how Melchizedek brought tithes to Abraham, or Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek. Um, But also in that, it says that Melchizedek prepared for Abraham after this ba- uh, battle uh, bread and wine. Bread and wine. Celebrating God's great victory. I want us to uh, remember today the bread and the wine. The Bible's, you know, just replete with this theme over and over again. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and offered it to the disciples, and he said, this is my body. And then he took the wine, and he says, this is the uh, cup of the New Testament. 
the blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. I want to just invite you that as, as we're thinking about, you know, uh, I think it was uh, the Scottish, Scottish preacher, I think his name was uh, Duncan Campbell, I believe that was his name, but they were, he was in the communion line and they were serving communion and he came to this one young girl who had apparently been in some type of sin just like many of us may have been. You know, we go from Saturday night parties to Sunday morning church. But uh, he came to this young lady, and she turned her head as if she didn't want to receive it, kind of like Peter saying, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. But uh, the Scottish pastor in his little Scottish accent said, Take it, Lassie. It's for sinners. It's for sinners. And so, as we come around to the table of the Lord today, I just want to encourage you. It's for those that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's for all of us who are sinners, and we are all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. So, as you're coming forward right now, and I ask you to just invite you to come in kind of a counterclockwise measure, just come and take the, the bread and the cup back to your, your chair, and then we will partake together. But as you're coming and thinking about, you know, just, I, I pray that you will never get over this, that, you know, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, you think about what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary's cross, never forget the great sacrifice that came with salvation. It's great to think about salvation and it's great to be saved, but there was a sacrifice that came with salvation. Think about Jesus, the scourging that he took. Jason talked about this. The beating that he took. The humiliation that he took stripped. You know, when we are kind of like, we try to cover things that perhaps shouldn't be covered but we see Jesus typically, you know, covered. But what we know is Jesus was stripped naked, hanging before the entire world in his nakedness, pierced in his hands and his feet, and his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so in Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, examine yourself. And the way with, uh, that we do that we don't treat this lightly. We don't sin just because God's grace covers our sin. You know, when we sin, it should grieve our hearts and break our hearts because it does God's. So you can consider your, your sin, your life, ask God to give you strength. The Bible tells us that there is no sin or temptation that isn't common to man and that if we're willing, God will make a way for you and I to escape these temptations of sin. So you can just use this time right now just to reflect on your life, your sin, asking God to forgive you, to cause you to be an overcomer for sin before we partake together. The night. 
is holy not to me. God is holy not when the night is holy not to me. serve a good God. So guys, let me just tell you, just kind of on the heels of what Jason was saying about, you know, people here that he pointed out that had found their place. And it's funny that I had the same thought just this last week. I was thinking about just where we are in life. Some of you, uh, like Jason said, have, you know, found your, your calling in life. You know, you understand your gift, you understand your calling, and you're actually moving and working in the things that God has called you to. And then there, uh, there's another group of people that you're on your way. You're on your way. You, you understand that God has called you and that uh, you're moving toward that. You're not there yet. And then there's another group that, you know, of you that are stuck. You're just stuck. <laughs> and you're not going anywhere. You know, I, I've shared with you just about my own life, about, you know, uh, having a, you know, when I first came to New Mexico, getting a, a four-wheel drive and I thought, you know, if it said four-wheel drive, that was it. You know, there's no stopping you, no stopping you. And so I'm up uh, in the Pecos and driving on a snow-packed road and driving fast, and there's a fresh snow on the ground. But what I didn't see, because the snow was covering it, uh, a, a limb or large branch had fallen in the road covered by the snow, and I got high-centered. My tires were off the ground. And uh, I don't care how good my four-wheel drive was, I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't have traction. And that's what God wants to do to some of you. Some of you are high-centered. He wants to get you off of this high center and get your feet back on ground where he can use you and you can become effective. You know, it doesn't mean that you've been sidelined or you're taking a time out in life. You're not in the corner waiting for God to do something. You're just in this area where... You haven't reached your goal and your potential. What the Bible says about this is God was speaking to David, and he said, David, when I had you tending those sheep, you had already been anointed to be king. You had already been called to be, be king. He said, but what I, when I had you in the sheepfold 
and you were tending the sheep and you were watching the sheep and you were protecting the sheep and feeding the sheep and watering the sheep, he said, I was preparing you for the kingdom. I was preparing you to be king. Some of you right now, the place that you're in, God is preparing you for your destiny, for your calling. And uh, before we partake, I just want to pray with you this morning. And Lord, we would just say, forgive us our sins this morning. Wash us in the Lamb's blood. And Lord, we pray that you would get us out of this stuck place into the place where we can become effective in the kingdom, God, that we can do your will. And Lord, we make it our aim, as Paul says, to please you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the calling that you've given each one of us, because you say that the the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God, you're, you're not sorry. That what simply means that you're not sorry that you called each of us, and you're not sorry for the gifts and the, the calling that you placed on our life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to move forward and be anointed and equipped to do the real life's work. Just like Jesus at a very early age when he was in the temple debating with the scribes and the Pharisees and his mother shows up and he says, didn't you know that I needed to be about my father's business? I want to speak to every one of you. I want to just look at me for just a moment, every one of you. There is the father's business that every one of you need to be about. God has called you not to just occupy a seat on Sunday morning, but he's called you to be about the father's business. So with that in mind, Again, back to uh, Corinthians where Paul says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, symbolizing his broken body. Lord, we think about that, the shame, the suffering that you endured for our salvation. We partake of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul said after the same manner, he took the cup, and once again he said, this cup is the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we think about nothing can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, wash our sins away. So if you just take that cup and sit it on the seat behind you so your hands free. I want you to be hands free this morning. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes. Come on. Come on. Let's just be in an attitude of gratitude this morning. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. You can clap. You can lift your hands. And you can say with me, what can wash away my sins? Come on. One more time. One more time. What can wash away my sins? Come on. Come on. Come on. Think about it. What can wash away my sins? Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yes, Lord, yes. In what can make me whole. 
shout of praise because it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash away my sin. Come on, we serve a good God. We serve a good God. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness this morning, Lord. I pray your hand of protection to be each over each one in this place today. And God, as we go out of this house, Lord, we pray your anointing would be upon us, Lord God. You equip us, anoint our tongue, Lord God, that we would share with those that are broken, those that are without hope, Lord God. Let us be bearers of life and light to them. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. God's people said a hearty amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys.